This podcast is a 3D audio production, so watch out as sounds may seem to come from beside you or behind you. For the best listening experience, please use headphones. I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Realm presents Orphan Black, the next chapter. Season 2. Starring Tatiana Maslany, Jordan Gavaris, Evelyn Brochu, and Christian Brune. Episode 2. The mockingbird that woke Vivi Valdez was so loud and clear, she thought it was in her room. Her eyes searched for it in the dawn light, before she realized the massive floor-to-ceiling window held no glass. Island sounds were drifting in, unfiltered. She had been given an expansive suite that overlooked a crescent-shaped bay cradled by verdant spires of rock soaring out of the ocean. The moment Vivi had landed on Haven, she had been teeming with questions. Where exactly are we? We keep our location private to protect our very vulnerable residents. I'm sure you can relate. Right. All this privacy's got me curious. Can you tell me a little about this position? Sure, but you must be famished. Let's take care of that first. Talk business later. They sat down to a dinner prepared by her three Michelin star chef, Mathieu. Vivi was about to resume her questioning when Blythe suddenly had to leave for a work emergency. It seemed she was dodging her. Vivi wouldn't let that happen today. Rising from her king-sized bed, Vivi drew a bath in the freestanding stone tub. She added forest lichen essential oil from the complimentary full-spectrum healing kit purported to cure eczema, menstrual pain, and adrenal fatigue. She had found it next to a list of activities she could enjoy on Haven. Yoga, meditation, bee venom facials, and herbal vaginal steams. None of that shit remotely interested her. Oils were wild enough. This was Vivi's first taste of Tethys, Blythe's wildly successful lifestyle brand. It boasted luxury products, wellness courses, and a new age philosophy seeking to cure any somatic or spiritual ailment. The oil did nothing for her cramps but the view of a pink and gold sunrise seemed to wash away some of the past year. Vivi didn't really intend to accept a job here. She came for a free trip and a close look at one of the most successful leaders in the world. But binga, this sweet could change her mind. Screw Langley. Screw being a desk jockey. Arun would be so jealous. She grabbed her phone to text him so he'd know she had landed. 
He wasn't her handler anymore, but old habits die hard. Vivi noticed she didn't have cell service. She scanned for Wi-Fi. No networks detected. Her jaw clenched. She didn't like being this off the grid. A knock on the door interrupted Vivi's not-so-healing soak. In walked Alita clone in linen pants and minimalist jewelry. Miss Valdez, sorry to disturb you. I'm Natalie, Bly's assistant. She apologizes, but she's being detained and we'll have to delay your meeting until later today. But I'd love to have breakfast with you whenever you're ready. Hmm, another stall tactic. Fine. Breakfast with Natalie was a good opportunity to get some intel before talking to the big boss. Above their table in the enormous and strangely empty wellness library loomed a painting of Blythe in a vibrant hibiscus print dress. Her bangs and judgy stare reminded Vivi of the priggish suburban member of the Canadian Clone Club. Natalie caught her staring at the portrait. Do you like it? Blythe's considering having it replaced. She thinks this one's too stodgy. What's with the internet here? Oh, we don't have any. Haven policy, no outside distractions for total mental clarity. And the cell service? Too far out for reception. What if people need to call their families? Oh, we could arrange that, of course, but we find a lot of our residents don't want to contact the world they left behind, and we do our best to provide them that. Sometimes you need to face what you want to escape. Sometimes leaving is the only option. A lot of people come here to heal, but... That can be hard with external noise. A break from it can bring clarity. So that's what you do here. Heal people? I know, that sounded cheesy. I think you need to see what I'm talking about to really understand. The assistant took Vivi down to the beach, where turquoise water lapped at white sand. Stopping to gaze out at the horizon, Natalie took a deep breath and exhaled. Before I came here, my mind was full of noise, especially after the exposure. I was unfocused, clenched, but when Blythe convinced me to move, I realized the noise wasn't my own. It was from all around me, the news, people, the city. Now, this is my mind. Natalie waved her hand at the beach, and Vivi had to admit it was soothing. No sirens, no pings from notifications, no jerks to yell at on the road. They passed a group of people meditating on yoga mats. A clone sat among them, relaxed and slightly tanned. Vivi thought about the pissing rain she had left behind in Langley. Shit, these people had it good. Natalie continued down the beach. On a clifftop, Vivi noticed a group practicing palm heel strikes and techniques for escaping bear hugs. It was a basic but essential self-defense class. Why were they teaching ear slaps in Blythe's Utopia? Got a problem with muggers on the island? They're training in case anyone does them harm off the island. Plus, it's just good exercise. The words came out of Natalie like a blithe regurgitation. It was creepy, but Vivi was relieved to hear that people did leave the island. And with anti-clone sentiment on the rise, self-defense could come in handy. They continued onto a well-worn path leading into a tangled forest scented by wild guava. It led to a beautifully crafted wooden gate. On the other side sat a smattering of bungalows around a kidney-shaped pool. People were lounging, reading, and chatting over meals. Natalie led her inside. Vivi watched a woman carrying a pile of blankets. These people all work for Blythe? No, many are clones uh, seeking asylum after the exposure. Others are allies here to support. Vivi watched as the woman with the blankets disappeared into a bungalow with shuttered windows. Janice followed with two pitchers of what looked like iced tea. Natalie noticed Vivi's gaze. Oh, they're starting a dark therapy session. Ominous. Meditation's easier without light or noise. Taoists use it in caves to reach a higher state of mind. Whatever's in those pitchers probably helps too, am I right? Oh, that's just chamomile tea. We don't use psychedelics. The uh, real high comes from the dark. It clears your mind, helps you surrender your ego, and heal your heart. Vivi eyed the bungalow. To her, sitting in the dark was a form of torture. Sensory deprivation had been used in the War on Terror. It was fast and left no marks. 
soundproof dark rooms could cause psychotic breakdowns in as little as two days. Though looking around, Natalie and her fellow Havenites didn't seem psychotic. Not in a ranting, hallucinating way. And everyone has to do it? No, it's optional, but I chose to. After all the noise in my head quieted, strange thoughts got louder. Doubts about who I was, what I was, everyone I had known. I was stuck in uncertainty and needed a way to sort things out. I meditated in the dark for eight days. Memories came back, trips to clinics as a kid, arguments between my parents. I realized they had known what I was and never told me. Painful, but no one was reaffirming. It was clear, leaving everything behind, including their deception, and coming here was the right thing to do. Then, my healing truly began. But my situation was simple compared to others with rougher pasts. So what do you do for those people? Can't imagine sitting in the dark is easy for them. Natalie led Vivi around the pool, where people were doing water physiotherapy. A short distance away, a stanchion roped off a cabana. Inside, Vivi spotted a clone talking emphatically to someone calmly listening. The Lita had a violet bruise across her cheek. We have trained psychotherapists and medical doctors here for anyone who needs them. A lot of us show up in bad shape, mentally and physically, or we simply can't afford proper care back home. And here it's free? 100%. This isn't a resort. People do important work here for themselves. We focus on health, awareness, and respect for life. We shut out the toxicity of the world. Blythe thinks paying for health is part of that toxicity. This is impressive. What pays for all of it? Tethys. The company heals even beyond the products. My hat's off to Blythe, but a lot of people are suffering out there. How does she choose who comes here? I mean, I've got coverage. I don't need free health care. Any sister in need is welcome. For others, they're admitted on a case-by-case -case basis. As for you, you're a special case. Before Vivi could press on this vague corporate answer, she heard an electronic chime. Natalie glanced at something out of her pocket. Blythe is ready to meet with you in the solar plexus sanctuary. Walking to the solar plexus sanctuary, they passed a squat structure monitored by a security camera. When Vivi asked what it was, Natalie dismissed it as a utility building. Vivi logged it away and kept walking. After 20 minutes, they reached a sprawling terrace that jutted out into a rocky gorge covered in greenery. There, Blythe was sitting on a plush, sunken couch. Like her assistant, she was in stylish linen pants, her hair piled on her head in a carefree bun. Metal bangles hung around her wrists. Joining her, Vivi was taken by the cliffs around them. They were covered in narrow waterfalls, streaking down past the terrace to the ground below. Mm. Hits you right in the core, doesn't it? It's surreal. Thank you. That means a lot coming from someone who's seen so much of the world. Did you sleep well? Yeah. Haven't slept like that in years, actually. <laughs> you know, I just got back from the States, a work trip. I can't sleep there either, especially after everything went public. The whole time I just look at the clock and think about flying home. If this was my home, I'd do that, too. Well, that is what I'm offering, Vivi. Haven is a home for you and any sister that wants a whole, healthy life. No clone is alone. Sister? Vivi didn't much like the term. It implied a connection that none of them really had. It was kind of a load of bullshit. Like the Canadian clone club's word for each other, Sestra. That irritated the hell out of her. But Blythe wasn't phased by her skepticism. Hmm. We prefer that word. Clone feels reductive. It strengthens the prevailing narrative that we're just lab experiments or deviations. Maladjusted people on the fringes. The media jumps all over it. And that misguided group in Toronto contributes to that narrative. 
The hiding, the secrecy. Yes, one of them flaunts her life on a reality show, but it's a grotesque spectacle monopolizing on her nature. Unhealthy. And that book? All that info made public just gives critics and bigots more ammo. No wonder so many sisters feel lost, confused, and unsafe. Huh. So Blythe wasn't on board with the Canuck clones either. Vivi wondered if Blythe would welcome any of them to the island with open arms. Natalie floated over with two champagne flutes of gray-green liquid. Vivi sipped and cringed. It was like slurping chalk and grass. Blythe noticed. Natalie, we're not in the mood for full-spectrum tonics. How about cervezas? Her assistant floated away. So you want me to live on this island? That's why you flew me out? I want you as chief of security on Haven. You'll be my bodyguard as needed, of course, but the real job is making everyone safer. Defending against the growing anti-us sentiment, whether it reaches this island or impacts those who leave it, we can't all stay here forever. People will need to go back into the world again. I just want them to be prepared. You saw your people running basic drills. Good start, but it'll do nothing against the real threat. Tracking us, using our genome, discrimination barring us from regular lives, that's the real fight. Mm, I agree. I've been pushing federal protective laws for us, but the process is slow and fraught with concerns around making us a protected class. And even if I do get laws passed in North America, our sisters are in dozens of countries. It'll do nothing for them. It's every clone for themselves. No, it's us against them until we're recognized and protected. But that could take years, and many have already suffered too many blows. Sure, self-defense training won't change the world for these sisters, but sitting here feeling defenseless won't give them the confidence to go back out and fight for what we need either. And I'm the right person to give them that confidence? Vivi, there's no one better suited. You could make a difference. Your expertise, experience with other sisters, your current employer's misuse of your talents. I think you'd be not only an asset here, but more fulfilled on a personal level. Vivi hung on Blythe's words. There was truth in what she was saying. They could all wither or get beaten down while awaiting legal recognition and protection. Maybe there was value in joining Blythe. It wasn't as if Langley was putting her to good use anymore. Natalie returned with drinks, Vivi's favorite brand of Cuban beer. Her hackles started rising again. Jeez, you know a lot about me. I've amassed a sizable database on our sisters. If someone's in trouble, I want to know so I can offer them a home. I thought, if the world wants to claim we don't belong, I'll create a place where we do. Just under 40 of us have joined me here. And what's the end game for this place? If we can't go back out into the world with real legal protections, what happens to everyone squatting on this island? It was an ultra-direct question. Vivi wanted an ultra-direct answer. She sized up Blythe, who didn't flinch, but took her time to respond. Straight talk? I don't know. But everyone is welcome to stay or go, whether we have protections or not. I'll keep Haven going for as long as anyone needs it. Vivi hid behind her beer. Was Blythe on the level? She seemed pretty calculating as far as Vivi could tell. Building a luxury retreat was a great way to lure people in. Claiming to offer full psychological support wasn't bad either. But she also had random buildings with vague functions on the island. And training these women in combat to boost their confidence was also suspect. It didn't add up. What was she after here? Blythe must have seen hesitation in Vivi's face. Why not stay a few days? No, stay as long as you like. Enjoy the island. Get to know the community and think it over. If you decide it's not for you, no harm done. This offer was just what Vivi needed. She wasn't entertaining the job. She wanted to figure out what was going on here and Blythe had just given her that opportunity. 
But it wasn't going to be pleasant. Ugh, 40 clones. Every day. Reminding her why her career went down the shitter. And the community. Ugh, the word was alien to Vivi. Her family had evaporated with her parents' death. She wasn't tight with anyone at work. Her relationship with Arun hadn't been the same since she was pulled from the field, since it was revealed she was a clone. There had been fewer late-night beers and laughs over crazy stories, even fewer stupid memes between them. That last awkward conversation before she left D.C. hadn't helped. Maybe he had never felt the way she did. Or maybe knowing what she was changed everything. Fuck it. She decided she would enjoy some free drinks and massages, try to suss out what was going on here, then decline the offer. Hell, she might even get crazy and try a vaginal steam. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Alrighty, close your eyes please, Miss Kneehouse, and I'll remove your liner. Oh, uh, it's okay. Leave the liner. <laughs> well, I was told to remove it. By who? Uh, Karen? On your team? Cosima rolled her eyes. It was the PR company. Her agent, Benny Brewster, hired the firm to help redirect the narrative in their favor. But the glossy, rigid interview coaching, which Cause did not intend to adhere to, was pure torture. Now they wanted to change her face? No fucking way. She wasn't here to look approachable and rack up followers. Changing her eyeliner wouldn't change minds about clones. Kasima made her TV appearance with one goal in mind, counter clone bashing and misrepresentation. She wanted the world to know clones were real people who could talk for themselves, even if they wore eyeliner, or if they had rigid corporate values that pissed her off which she was encountering a lot, because the shows loved to pair her with another special guest, someone from her past that she hoped would never come back. Kasima, this Karen has good instincts. You've been rocking that liner for what now? Over a decade? Why not try something new? Change is good. Kasima caught Rachel Duncan's reflection in the mirror seated in the chair next to her as another makeup artist moisturized her forehead. Uh, yeah, right, says the woman who's been clinging to a French handbag addiction most of her life. Yes, I know nothing about timeless fashion. Don't listen to me. In the past, any comment from Rachel would have gotten under Cosima's skin, but not anymore. Public exposure of the clones had not only put things in perspective, it had helped Cosima land her dream job at the cutting-edge biotech cannabis company, Trossery, 
they had jumped on hiring a high-profile clone geneticist. Sure, they monopolized off her constant Lido-related media appearances by leveraging online traffic to promote her work, but they also gave her free reign to tinker with cannabis genes and a huge budget. Her task? Design new strains and products with cannabinoid ratios and terpene profiles tailored to clients' DNA. Goodbye panic attacks, inconsistent highs, and ineffective medical marijuana. Hello, specialized and safe formulations based on individual genotype and epigenetic expression. She was paving the way for genetically personalized weed. You're a freaking pioneer, Kasima Niehaus, so forget Rachel. Go out there, answer some stupid questions, and get back to formulating the dopest weed known to humankind. She flashed the makeup artist her best, I'm in charge face. The liner stays, just um, moisturize between the eyebrows, please. Usually after they were labbed up and waiting on set, Kasima and Rachel actively ignored each other. When the cameras were on, they slid into viper mode, ready to dart, lunge, and bite if needed. And usually the conversations focused on the clone experience, working at Dyad, and the future of technology, stuff they'd naturally disagree on, which produced ratings. People loved a good clone fight. But Kaz could rest easy today. This super cash morning show didn't seem so ratings-focused. The host, Mira J. Clifford, was practically singing as she passed the mimosas. Miss Duncan, Miss Niehaus, welcome. I know it's 7 a.m., but this is how we do here on Mira in the morning. I drink, you drink, we have a good time. So kick back, relax, and we'll roll in a jiffy. Rachel took a whiff of her drink as Mira moved off to confer with her producer. Mimosas with sparkling wine, well, this is a new low. Yeah, I was getting used to the primetime shows, too. I can't wait to talk clone skincare regimens with a former soap star. Mm, at least I'm getting buzzed. At least I'm getting paid triple. Rachel threw back her mimosa, grabbed another. She was raking it in as a clone pundit. They probably paid her extra to oppose everything Kasima said. It made sense. Rachel was built for this. She was always groomed and sociopathically cool in any insane circumstance. What was more insane than American television? Ten minutes later, Kasima would discover the answer to that was clone television. Mira J didn't start with brunch chat and a touching montage of their lives. The segment kicked off with cell phone footage of a clone at Helena's book signing. Alita was screaming about secret vaccinations carried out by Kasima and Delphine almost nine years earlier. The clip paused just as the clone whipped a book at Helena's scowling face. Both Rachel and Kasima clutched their mimosas in shock. They had heard about the attack, but neither had actually seen it. Mira stared down the barrel of the camera. Clones. They're popping up all over the world. We've heard about their childhoods, the shock they suffered learning their genetic identicals. One even has a hit lifestyle show that lets us in on her day-to-day. -day. Now, a new narrative is emerging in the clone saga, one focused on honesty, ethics, and consent. Kasima's eyes narrowed. She'd only agreed to do Mira in the morning because she figured they'd teach her how to make a paleo lasagna, not pull some lame-ass gotcha. If she had known Mira was going to get this dramatic at the crack of dawn, she wouldn't have gotten out of bed. Dr. Kasima Niehaus, though you're currently bioengineering marijuana for Trasserie, you've been working in genetics for a long time. <clears throat> Correct. And your wife, Delphine Cormier, was formerly an ethical consultant for the Canadian government. Sounds like a power couple to me. Uh, thanks. The recently published book, Orphan Black, claims you and your wife traveled the world to vaccinate more than 270 clones. Yes, um, we developed a vaccine to fight a terminal disease unique to our genetics. Um, it cured me. I was weeks away from death. Yes, an impressive scientific feat. But some clones don't approve of the way you did this. They take issue with the fact that you didn't disclose the nature of their illness, details about the vaccine, or the fact that they were clones. 
Um, that was a conscious decision based on resources. Time was of the essence. Right. Vaccinating almost 300 women can't be easy. But what about the years since? You didn't even approach these women with any details about their nature. Uh, it, it, it didn't feel right to drop that bomb on them. If I were in their shoes, I'd say having that bomb dropped on them publicly didn't feel right either. She was going for blood. Kasima noticed Mira J wasn't drinking and wished she hadn't finished her mimosa. She sat a little straighter, trying to diffuse the fog from the booze. I agree, um, but that wasn't in my control. The source who sent the original clone documentation to journalists eight months ago has not been identified, but numerous Lita women are pointing at you. You and your wife had detailed knowledge about your genetics and personal information about all the clones. We didn't tell the press, I assure you. Your wife was an ethicist. Didn't it ever cross your mind that, ethically, these women deserve to know who they really are? To know they were receiving an experimental treatment? Didn't you feel guilt? <sighs> the guilt. Kasima hadn't allowed it to drift into her mind for years, and no one had broached it in any other interview. She searched for a canned PR response to shift the conversation, but all the bridge and reframe techniques had been deleted from her brain. All she could think about were the numerous arguments she and Delphine had as they vaccinated the Litas around the globe. Would they tell them or wouldn't they? Mouth open, she hung on the question for what felt like an eternity. Mira looked to Rachel, trying to prompt a response, but Rachel just stared back blankly, dragging out an awkward silence. Normally, they'd already be in an argument at this point in a show, but for some reason, Kasima's old adversary had taken a back seat. Mira pursed her lips. This wasn't the hot TV drama she'd been hoping for. Miss Duncan, what are your views on the ethics around vaccination? Dr. Niehaus and Dr. Cormier vaccinated over 270 clones, including me, with no substantial financial backing or institutional support. If we are talking ethics and best practices, these women would have needed psychological help after being made self-aware about their nature. Arranging for that would have delayed saving their lives and possibly led to dozens of deaths. Would that have been preferable? Rachel smiled at Mira J, who, frighteningly, mirrored back the exact same smile. No, preservation of human life is important, but they had eight years to put together some sort of plan to tell these women. I know you've already heard my life story, as you so crassly said at the top of the show, but humor me. I was made self-aware of my nature the day I was born. The scientists that created me also raised me. I worked for Dyad, the corporation that ran the later program. I had respect and rank. I was given all the details about the clones, including the fact that we would likely die from a genetic illness. I was actively looking for a cure. Throughout this, I had the best psychological support available. Did I thrive knowing I was a clone? I thought so. Then I was exposed to other clones and their lifestyles, to their freedoms. Were you imprisoned at Dyad? Not physically. I could come and go. The point seems to be eluding you, so I'll try to speak plainly. Based on cold, impartial ethics, I was made self-aware properly. But that didn't make anything easier. I wasn't happier, less terrified, or more fulfilled. If I could go back and relive that part of my life unaware, I would. I'd take any bit of stupid bliss I could get. Knowing can be painful. Like a mimosa you know was made with $7 sparkling wine. Rachel put down her mimosa, stood up, took off her mic, and flicked her eyes at Kasima to do the same. In the green room, Kasima silently gathered their things and walked out to the parking lot with her rival. Standing there, she didn't know what to say. It wasn't like Rachel to save her ass. It also wasn't like Rachel to be the sensational one. It was tacky. That woman thought we'd be her ticket to primetime programming. If she wants to use my face as a stepping stone on television, she'll have to spring for a real bottle of wine. Here's my car. Take Karen's advice and lose the liner. Maybe rethink the dreads, too. Watching her leave the lot, 
Cosima realized she didn't mind Rachel's cold bitch flexing. The world had become so inhospitable in the last nine months, it was actually comforting. It was familiar. Being a media punching bag was not. Under the moon, Vivi wandered back to the bungalow complex to look for anything that would tell her what, if anything, Blythe was really up to. She explored the dark, quiet buildings and found another courtyard. It was lined with open-air structures, housing classrooms, art studios, and a large communal kitchen. Nothing looked suspicious, except for the ancient limestone statues throughout the square. Vivi wasn't sure if they were native to the island or if they had been lifted from Mayan ruins, like a miniature Elgin Marbles situation. At the back of the courtyard sat a high fence holding a heavy gate large enough for vehicles. She paced up to it. There was an electronic keypad on the gate. Everything all right? Vivi turned. Blythe's assistant was standing in the entrance to the kitchen, holding an apple. So, Vivi was being watched 24-7. Couldn't sleep. Me neither. Got a midnight snack. What's through that gate? Oh, just storage buildings, generators, landscaping gear. Heavy security. Only messengers have access. Messengers? Uh, a special team that organizes island maintenance, events, things like that. Come, I'll walk back with you. As they walked, the new words echoed in Vivi's mind. Messengers. What were they? Constant babbling echoed in Delphine's mind. Charlotte had been blasting the TV in the living room for 40 minutes, and it was setting her teeth on edge. Charlotte, turn that down, s'il te plaît. She pulled a tray of canales out of the oven. She couldn't get even a bit drunk off the tiny pastries. The rum in them burned off in the baking process. And she couldn't get drunk off the financiers, or the creme brulees, or the strawberry eclairs her stress-baked frenzy had produced. Merde, she needed a good bottle of Bordeaux to drown out the past two days. Cosima's Mira J incident had caused a hail of criticism about Delphine's past decisions. The clamor online, on TV, and in her inbox was maddening. Old colleagues were unfriending her left, right, and center. One had even published a long op-ed claiming her wishy-washy mediation skills created conflict between them. A stem cell clinic she had briefly worked for issued a statement that they were redrafting all internal policies she had reviewed. Then there were the memes. Mon dieu, the fucking memes. Pictures of her and Cosima with dumb grins. Backs turned to things like mushroom clouds or barrels of waste being dumped into a river. But the things that really got to her was the tiny voice inside saying, maybe the criticism was correct. Maybe they had been wrong about everything. Delphine knew her wife was feeling the same. Cosima had been pacing outside the kitchen window for an hour, clutching a bottle of wine, puffing a joint, and muttering to herself. Every time she drank or took a drag, Cosima turned her back on the house. It was her way of protecting her pregnant wife from craving a good toke and drink. Normally, Delphine found this adorable. But the self-medicating nature of this particular weed and wine session was worrisome. Baking tray in hand, Delphine went into the backyard. She smelled the skunky strain cost designed specifically for her own genome. It was supposed to knock her out at bedtime, but it hadn't been working lately. Joint dangling in her fingers, Cosima was lost in thought. Cherie? Hey, puppy. Is that Goldwyn? Shit. She quickly butted out the J. Kenley, your favorite. Delphine held out the tray, but Cosima didn't seem to notice. Rachel. Rachel bailed my ass out? Yes, that was unexpected. If this screws up my job at Trossery, I swear I'll march down there. Don't worry, they love attention, good or bad. Delphine disliked how the company spun the media frenzy to their advantage, but she had never seen her wife so happy. With the exception of the past few days, Cosima had been in an awesome workflow, 
living and breathing those 10 beautiful cannabis chromosomes, literally. What about you? Are you worried? What if you want to work after the baby? Nah. Don't worry about me. Delphine waved it away, but she was concerned. With a child on the way, two incomes were definitely better than one. And if she was honest with herself, stepping away from work to focus on family was a good change. For now, maybe not forever. Delphine, I had no good answers. None. I was just spinning and feeling like a total asshole all over again. Flu shots, boosters, Botox, all the cover stories we gave. What the fuck were we thinking? Delphine put down the canales and took her wife in her arms. We were thinking about saving 274 lives. If we had told them they were clones, it would have taken too long to gain their trust. And then administer the vaccinations, it would have taken months, years maybe. Many would have died. And those that lived, we had no way to support them. We, we really shouldn't go back in time. Mira was right. Eight years, Delphine. We had eight years to figure out how to tell these women, and we did nothing. No, we moved on with our lives. Healed. Yeah, real ethical. Dyad, Neolution, and other assholes fucked us up, so we did our best to move on. We had unfinished business with those women. Delphine didn't know what to say. Cosima had a point. Once Dyad and Neolution had crumbled, they craved peace and happiness so much, they avoided dealing with more clone-related issues. Telling 274 women the truth would have been like reliving their own painful past every single time. They'd have to explain how they knew so much about the Lidas, which would have potentially exposed other Sestras and their families. Sarah and Allison had been firmly against that. And like Rachel suggested, how could they be sure every Lida wanted to be self-aware? Did they have the right to make that call? Was it really fair to put other women through self-awareness hell without consent or substantial support? Though the clones were genetically identical, they were a mosaic of opinions and beliefs. Who knew how each one would react? Cosima forgot Delphine's pregnant state and openly swigged wine. If we had dealt with that unfinished business, Charlotte wouldn't have gone, hey world, guess what? There's a bunch of clones lurking around. Deal with it. Shh, shh, shh. she's in the living room. Like, did we do this? Did we help raise a kid who thinks it's ethically okay to put hundreds of lives at risk? You think because we vaccinated those women secretly, Charlotte thought she could expose them without consent? I mean, we set the example, Delphine. But we explained to her why we did it that way. Maybe we didn't do a good job. One screw up and boom, landslide. I can't mess up like that again. You didn't mess up. Well, I've got at least 18 years to fuck up our child. More if they live at home into their 30s. And let's face it, with today's economy, that's totally gonna happen. Delphine took away the wine. Let's slow down. Cosima, you're going to be an amazing parent. <sighs> you don't know that. I do. Know how? Because you care so much. Yeah, it would be hard, and we won't have answers, but we'll discover the answers, our answers, together. What if I just don't have any? Or what if they're wrong? Forget Mira J, okay? It wasn't a black and white situation. Nothing ever is. I don't know. I just keep hearing her voice. It's like I'm going insane. You're not insane. I hear her too. The two of them walked into their living room. Charlotte was watching a clip from Mira in the morning. The host was interviewing wellness guru, Blythe Winston. Earlier this week on the show, Dr. Niehaus said they didn't have time to, quote, drop a bomb on these women regarding their illness or the fact they were clones. Time was of the essence in the vaccination process. Mira, uh, giving consent for inoculations and telling these women about their unique genetic identity isn't the only issue. Niehaus and Cormier's story provides no support, only fuel for a wildfire. Hmm, how so? Their story in this Orphan Black book contributes to anti-clone sentiment. These women hid their identity for years, yes, 
they may have been scared of repercussions from exposure, which we are now experiencing. But to hide the truth from others like themselves, the only thing that would push me to do that is shame. They vaccinated these women, then walked away, treating them like something to be fixed and ignored. It feels as though they wanted to ignore their truth. Rachel Duncan lived most of her life tethered to the institution responsible for our existence and did nothing with her detailed knowledge of us either. She even said she wished she was unaware of her true nature. That's shame, isn't it? Shame is a dark cave to dwell in. It causes anxiety, depression, addiction. Their mentality around what it means to be one of us is unhealthy. What does being a con mean to you? To me, it's a blessing. I see all of us as scientific miracles created with one overall purpose, to showcase the possibilities of the future. What does that even mean? It means we're the unstable crazies she is using to get views. Now, Delphine really needed wine. Arun chopped vegetables in his kitchen while he half-watched the interview unfolding on his tablet. The future. What is your ideal vision for it? Hmm, ideally, our future is one of peace and acceptance. But a lot has to happen first. Many of us are struggling with our new reality, including these women in Toronto. I think they need help. Will this book bring that about? I doubt it. So far, it's caused more uproar and hatred online and off. When will this behavior stop so we can process our unique situation and heal? Healing? That's a topic not many touch on when it comes to clones. How are you healing from all this? By helping others through Tethys. I fund support groups for sisters in need, which anyone can learn more about on our website. We all deserve to be on this earth and we all deserve to be happy. To do that, we need to come together and embrace our genetics, not deny them. We aren't a science experiment. Our unique bond should be nurtured and celebrated we are part of a sacred sisterhood. Good luck getting Vivi to join a sacred sisterhood. Arun checked his phone. Still no answer to the text he had sent Vivi. He just wanted to know if she had reached Miami, Bahamas, Cancun. She had never really said where she was going. He told himself to relax, but Vivi's sudden vacation alone had thrown him. In nearly a decade of working together, not once had she taken a break. Breaks? We're healthy. If Vivi was feeling like she needed one, he should support her. Instead, he had asked if she wanted him to come along, got shot down, then concluded she was lying to him. Way to go, Arun. Super attractive. After the tag bioweapon incident, he had flirted with the idea of their friendship evolving. If he hadn't been her handler, he'd have asked her to dinner by now, made it formal. She was the only one that got his warped sense of humor. She could finish his sentences, and still she never failed to surprise him. With all the layered deceptions and half-truths that came along with the job, she was the only person that felt genuine. And shit, he loved her crooked nose and the way she laughed, especially at his jokes. But he didn't want to push it. Vivi had been through a lot. They had been through a lot. So he backed off, telling himself that she'd come to him when she was ready. Shaking Vivi out of his head, Arun focused back on the tablet. Mira J was empathizing with Blythe's sermon. It must be hard to nurture and celebrate with the world watching, making judgment calls. It is a challenge. Every day we are demeaned, attacked. It's hard to feel safe or valued, but if there's anything I want to get across to my sisters tonight, it's that no clone is alone. Arun winced. The knife slipped mid-chop and bit his finger. No clone is alone. That had come out of Vivi's mouth only 48 hours ago. No way in hell was she on vacation. Jesus, Vivi. What are you up to? 
You're listening to Orphan Black, The Next Chapter, starring Tatiana Maslany, Jordan Gavaris, Evelyn Brochu, and Christian Brun. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Orphan Black, The Next Chapter, Season 2, is executive produced by Tatiana Maslany and stars Tatiana Maslany, Jordan Gavaris, Evelyn Brochu, and Christian Brune. Based on the television series Orphan Black, produced by Boat Rocker Studios. Written by Melka Older, Madeline Ashby, Helly Kennedy, E.C. Myers, and Lindsay Smith. And produced by Marco Palmieri and Haley Wagreich. Associate produced by Nicole Otto and Diana Foe. And executive produced by Molly Barton, AMC Networks, and David Fortier, Ivan Schneeberg, and Jessica Shadlock of Boat Rocker. Performed by Tatiana Maslany, Jordan Gavaris, Evelyn Brochu, Christian Brune, Alyssa Zia, Vikas Adam, Taya Garland, Hudson Mako, Stephanie Shea, Daniel Bonjour, Stephanie Frame, Tiana Camacho, Kimberly Marable, and Nathaniel Kwaku. Directed and produced by Kaylin West. Sound design by Rory O'Shea. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Musical theme performed by Two Fingers and composed by Amin Tobin. Music composed by Trevor Yule.